Hello everyone and welcome back to Models. Today we are trying to do something different. We have here the COO of Fondo, a fintech company. His name is Taiwo Obasan. Hello Taiwo. Hi, good afternoon. How are you doing today? I'm good, I'm good. So the reason we brought you here was because um, in the past we've been doing a lot of scouting the entire ecosystem, picking one topic, picking one role, discussing it. And uh, we needed to talk about like the general operations. I know that the operations role is a position that ties everything together. Yep. I like yep. to say that you guys are the most in service of the company's vision. So that's why we're here. But first of all, before we go into it, I have a question for you. Okay. If you could cancel anything, what would it be? It could be a human being, it could be a thing, it could be a Song, and it doesn't even have to be like political or social just something that if you could delete from the social consciousness of humanity what would it be today right yeah uh that's quite interesting but i think that would most likely be um social inequalities i would have just gone for portable social media accounts <laughs> <laughs> so interestingly i um Rarely enough, I'm not a fan of portable, but I sort of like the kind of different insights, if I if I may say that, is bringing to the to the entire mix. I mean, portable is there, not prima and proper, and you have the other guys that are trying to be prima and proper, right? So it's most likely the right guy disrupting the entire oh. industry. Yeah. <laughs> but that's really interesting. I mean, but let's get into it. Basically, yeah. I want you to first define your office because I know. No, like we have a COO here too and he's also in charge like he has to be here and there and out and about and I'm always like it's very interesting to see because it feels like this office that exists but it doesn't seem like there's a clear path to it so yeah. can you define your office and how does one go from being out of school ready to get employed down to becoming a COO mm. alright let me start with the first question because you asked like two yeah. questions in that. So the first one is who is a CEO, right? And the appropriate answer to that is this. So the CEO is the person that is able to connect all the team towards the company's vision. Just like um, the CEO is the chief executive, right? And their primary job is to ensure the company at some point has money, right? To ensure that the companies define the company's vision, right? And execute it. The CEO is actually the person by the right hand of that CEO to ensure that all the vision comes to life. So why the CEO is trying to look for money, there's someone trying to ensure that the house is in order and every other person is connected to ensure that the money it brings in is judiciously used and every other person can multiply that money. So that's literally a CEO is. So most likely, how do you become a CEO? How do you become a, an operations person? So for me, I think my own is quite different because I have done virtually all, I've had hands in virtually oh, yes. all aspects of You guys, I forgot to add, this guy is a titan. Like if you go to his LinkedIn profile, you will see things he has done a lot of stuff like you should just check his name is Taiwo Obasan right Obasan Ramirez. oh Obasan Obasan job without the jail oh. <laughs> 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 okay yeah. yeah so you were saying yeah so I mean for for someone like me um, I've always been the guy that makes things happen by the virtue of that I mean um, ran my own businesses so I knew right from 
think my first business was at age 16, printing, and I knew I needed to grow that. So I knew I needed to do virtually everything to grow that. So from that, I knew there's difference between when you're trying to bring in money and ensuring that that money lasts, right? And every other thing comes into place. Then, I mean, I've done product design, growth, um, community, I've done product management at some point, written a bit of code at some point. So I've literally done everything. And the operations role for me is more or less like what ties together virtually everything. And not just in my role at Fondor, but so I do like pro bono advising traditional companies. So yes, you too can become a tech company. It's just more or less like seeing that, oh, the sole way path to becoming a tech company is actually going the route of operations, right? Operations is the guy that almost exactly ensure everything happens. So for a tech company to be a tech company, the operations guy, it's what makes the tech company a tech company, not necessarily the engineers. If you want to become, say, a CEO or, say, an operations person, you need to be a generalist. That's the first thing. You need you, you need not be that person that you are going to be on one certain path. I just want to be an accountant and that's all I want to be, right? At some point, you need to move beyond the technicalities, right? To say, I can do this. And this is, I can run ads, I can do digital ads. So now, okay, how does what I'm doing connect to the company's vision? Then how does this other team, like collaborating with the other teams? And so it's a lot that I can keep um, talking about, I mean, all day, right? But the short version of that is more or less like, you must be the person that can run with a vision and bring something that is abstract, bring it into life. That's like what your patience guys. So take for example, yeah, over here, marketing and community communications yeah. we do have a structure that we run by we are like oh this is the web this is email this is social media these are things we're going to do like yeah. what exactly is the operation structure like i know there's a lot of meetings involved for me depending on the industry right and also depending on the stage of this firm if the firm is quite young that might be the ideation stage so what the operations guy does is to ensure that all the ideas that have been pulled down um, at that point in time is well assembled, right? So that starts yeah. like the first thing. And those um, ideas and all of that, they literally connect to the initial vision of the founders, right? So you most likely see a precede startup and the operations person being the person literally doing 15 different person's job, right? The operations person at that point in time can be the product manager, right? The operations person at that point in time can even be the one doing the wireframes, right? The operations person can be the UX researcher trying to say what we are trying to do. Is, does the market really need this and all of that? But when you leave that, right, you now become, say, a seed stage startup and all of that. The next thing is now, so um, at that point in time, the CEO is trying to bring in funds, right, bring in money and all of that. The role of the operations person is to ensure that the money is well utilized, right? So you literally, you are running with the budget to say, what are the different aspects of the budget, for instance, right? Um, how do we ensure that pricing of the product, for instance, so that is on sales part. The pricing of the product is um, adequate. You are unit economics positive, right? Um, you're also ensuring that you have enough resources. That's where the human resource comes into place. The operations person will be the one to say, okay, the CEO wants this. So if the CEO wants this, who are the kind of people that we need at this stage to help us run this? Do we need um, a lot of engineers? Do we need like the entire end to end of the resources that you need? 
do we need to move from where we were before to a new place? That's not the CEO's headache. That's like your own headache. Um, in terms of compliance, now this is the scale the CEO wants to get to, right? What kind of licenses do we need to obtain at this point in time? Is there any infraction when it comes to like regulatory um, issues? How do we get things done? So if, even if um, we want to build, for instance, right? Let me use, say Tesla, right? We want to build the next gen electric vehicle. So the operations person will be the one to say, what kind of lithium battery are we going to use? Mm -hmm. Where are we going to source it? How do we position this in the market, right? Like you said, meetings. The marketing person, this is what it is. What do you need? Um, do you need to get this out there? Okay, don't worry, we'll get it done. So yeah. think about the idea. We are going to execute and ensure that we give you the resources that you need. And it cascades down up to when the company IPOs, right? That's when operations really, really happen. And a good example is Cheryl, um, Facebook's um, Cheryl, that was literally the one at the end of our fair, right? Zuckerberg was just the guy, right? That, he has the idea. Cheryl is the one that said, oh, this is the idea then this is everything we need to do. And one of the reasons, I mean, Facebook has been successful for the past years and they've been giving um, good returns to their shareholders. So it's a lot of things. Um, and understanding how to put the round pegs in the round holes, I okay. think that's what operation really is. That seems like a lot. Like, how do, how do you manage it? So the way to manage that will be, um, number one, to create SOPs. SOPs are standard operating procedures, right? So they may look a lot abstract to people. Like, Oh, there's SOP, that's another thing I need to read because we don't want to read. <laughs> Detailing processes is actually very, very important. Understanding who needs to do what, what they need to do and when they need to do it and how they should do it. That is how you retain the company's DNA and you can pass that DNA from one generation to like the 20th generation, right? Writing, the operations person putting together SOPs will really, really help and to say this is like the standard operating procedure. So even if you are a three-man startup, but the operations person being able to look beyond that to say if these people, they are working, but they are wearing different hats, so that simply means they are doing different things. If I'm to bring in new persons to do these things, what would they do? How okay. would they do it? When should they do it? Right? And what should be done? That's like one thing that would help you. So at that point in time, all you are just doing is checks and balances. They all have their SOPs, you've stand there and they know what to do. Then the next thing is actually automation. I'm a geek when it comes to automation. Like that's it. I'm I'm a very lazy person. So what I try as much as possible to do is to automate everything. So if I need to do 10 things, I will ensure that 50 at least 50% will not take me more than two minutes. So I've automated the emails that should go out, when they should go out and all of that. I know when meetings should be done. So I have calendars booked. I know when things should be done. So there are a lot of recurring things. And this is where the tech comes into operation. I was speaking to a traditional finance group um, last week at their board meeting and they were having a lot of problems. And I just figured that 98% of the problems that they were having that they wanted to recruit 50 more employees was just automation. So you need to issue invoice at so so time. Why not automate the entire invoicing process? So at the end of the month, nobody gets to do anything. People need to come in, they need to do appraisal. Why not automate the entire process to ensure that when you need to come in, when you need to do appraisal, I don't need to click a button. Like literally, virtually everything everybody does. If you sit back, look through, you understand that you can automate everything and all you are just doing at the end of this, clicking a button. So automation is super, super important for operations people. For you to have peace of mind, you need to automate, you need to build processes. And where there is good processes, you can 
you move yourself and the company will keep running. So I, I believe those two things are very, very important for any operations person to do. But do you ever miss the days of going around doing that? Because I know like for me, even like in a managerial role, yeah. if there's one thing I don't like is all the administration and it's like I miss writing like articles and <laughs> churning out like these yeah. articles day after day. Like, don't you ever just think that... <sighs> I want to design something today. I want to write this code today. Or would you rather just prefer the administrative work? Is there any joy in the administrative? There is more joy in the administrative point of view than even doing the day-to-day work when you understand the reward that comes with it. So there's a thing I do, which is more or less like anybody that knows me knows that. I celebrate little wins. I'm not a serious person, right? I've never been a serious person. So what I try to do as much as possible is I try to see what I'm doing with you, right? So if I have the entire platform of things to be done and people doing it, instead of missing what they are doing, I would rather give what they are doing a different kind of meaning and be happy when they're happy, right? So when they're happy, I'm happy. So sometimes, for instance, let me give, like for you that you are in marketing, right? And I could remember my marketing days. There's this joy with, oh yes, they've written this article, this article, like I write, I like writing. Oh, I'm the one leading this campaign. Ads buying was like a therapy for me, right? Buying ads, like, oh, I outbeat this other person. I'm always happy. <laughs> SEO, we are number one, I'm always happy. But now what I do now is I try to support those people and ensure that what I have done, that made it harder for me. Right, so I just somewhat have maybe 15 minutes meeting with some of them to say, oh, this thing you are trying to do, you can actually do it this way. And once they say, oh, yes, that's good. I feel good. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I still savvy, I still savvy. <laughs> or, or design, people designing, and I just look at the design. Hmm, no, this is the implication of this design. Like, oh, yes, uh, yes, that's ambitious. I can connect. Right, so there's that joy that comes when you see the reward of, because you are looking beyond the content. You're now adding some other things to it, right? So that's, I mean, I miss drawing the pixels, but I mean, I also like the fact that now I can solve bigger problems. The next question would be about like, are there any technical demands to your role? The reason I'm asking this is because for a lot of roles, especially in the tech industry, the ecosystem, there's usually a little bit of technicalities. Like we do have the tech adjacent rules that are a lot less technical, but still you still require. And those things, you have to learn them. So yeah. you're probably having courses that relate to those things. You're working with this software. You have to learn the entire like guidebook or handbook on this. But again, like the COO role is something that fascinates me a lot. Like <laughs> are there any technical demands to your role? Um, in terms of technical, let me also put something out there. The only time you are praised for your technicality is when you're an analyst. That's when everybody say, oh, that's a whiskey, right? Has this technical ability. Once you move into, so what people now need at that point in time is your ability to manage people, your ability to sell internally and externally. You are selling the vision internally, but you are selling the product externally right at that point in time. So there's a lot of technicalities around and the technicalities are not necessarily writing codes. Understanding how Google Ads work, understanding how how to write Python, right, for data guys, or what else do they do in tech, right? All of those technical, technical things. 
the technicality is understanding the business and its environment. That's the technicality. So if you do not understand, a good COO of a fintech company must understand finance and tech. That is what connects both. So fintech is literally finance at scale. So that simply means fintech is dates back far as someone using an Excel sheet. If you want to work in a fintech company at that point in time, you need to understand how Excel sheets would connect into like finance. And that is when you can tell every other person, every other tons of department to say, hey child, this is the kind of person we need to hire. This is how we should market this product. This is the kind of thing we need to build. If I'm to get someone into the operations team, I'll most likely get someone uh, as um, that is a generalist, so they understand a little bit of everything. So you must know something about everything. That's when you're a good operations person. I mean, you don't expect your operations person to come and meet you know, and say, oh, you guys want to do podcasts. What do they even use to do podcasts, right? <laughs> so the first thing you expect is, oh, guy, you are the operations person. I want to do podcasts. Get, ensure that I have everything I need to do podcasts, right? So the person needs to understand a bit about everything. That's what makes a good operations person. So the, in the technicalities would be in fintech, right? Understand finance. Because the CEO doesn't necessarily need to understand finance. The CEO just needs to know how to sell finance as a fintech company or is a whiz at using tech to solve finance. You might not even need to. There are some CEOs in tech space that they cannot sell what they are building, but they are so nerdy that they can solve any problem. The operations person should be the one to say, hey, you are building this, this will not work. So they must understand finance to work in fintech. If I'm a CEO of a med tech, right, health tech company, I should at least understand health. So at the end of the day, we don't have, I mean, we are not building what will not work, for instance. So the technicality is just understand the subject matter of the industry that you are, right, and know something about everything and you'll be good to go. Thank you very much for that. Um, so now I want us to move on to the performance aspect of operations. I think this is a good time to mention that Taiwo here um, is the author and the owner of a blog called The Afroconomist. Yeah. Yeah. Um, can you go a bit, like, just give us a little bit of detail. Next one minute, what does um, The Afroconomist have to offer? Yeah, so The Afroconomist is actually um, Afroconomist. So I read economics, right? And right, Same here. Yeah, I read economics from you, like... Oh, same here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I think from you, like, and right from school, right, I've always believed that the solution to African problems are actually in Africa, that African problems are very, very much unique. So the entire mercantilism, all of those jargon that they did back then. So right from school, whenever the lecturers are saying, oh, some something was done in Brazil, I'll stand up and say, yes, tell me in Nigeria, right? Tell me how it to be done. So that was how the entire name Afroconomics came to be, where I tried to bring different um, points of view to, to situations, right? Um, everything I'm interested in, from politics to tech to design to anything in this world. I write about sound, I write about, like, name it. So every month, I have a theme every month across what I write. So January is usually when I write about operations. So February is usually the time I just take to now write about the entire tech space. When you get in there, you will definitely find something yeah. that you would love. There was an article we put out, was it today? Yeah, it's titled Efficient Operations as a Catalyst for Startup Growth and Scale, yeah. where you detailed like the entire process 
and the things that we would need to be able to achieve you know using operations and i want to ask a follow-up question yeah. to that article um how do you measure performance across like the life circle like how exactly like how do you rate yourself so um there's another article on the blog where i wrote about performance there was one i wrote um tech kpis to measure in 2023 where i literally explained both for traditional companies and tech companies all the kpis that you need to measure for like to ensure that you are digitized right so across different stages of startups there are different things that you would know that you have done as an operations person so performance for operations now say at the beginning of life of a tech company the first let me just list them out here right so the first one that you want to do right is to ensure that at that ideation stage you have an idea that people will pay for that's like the single metric so the not star metric at that point in time is the idea we have we have fine-tuned it to the extent to which people can pay for it that is when you have a business right ideas are everywhere would people pay for it there's no between when you tell your friends that oh, I, I love that idea tell them to pay money for it <laughs> if they cannot pay money for it don't build it right so that's that's like the first kpi then the next kpi for you would be would people fund this idea not all ideas are fundable right that is where structure also comes to play right do you have the right structure to build into this idea into a business everybody can have an idea not everybody can turn an idea into a business there's also the difference between building a product and building a business when you are building a product that is what product managers do Product managers build products while CEOs build business. If you are building a product, all you are considering is likely that product working and solving a problem. If you are building a business, the biggest thing is with these products at the uh, unit economics in a way that at some point it will run itself. This business should run itself. That is what is lacking in 98% of tech companies that we have today. The business cannot run itself. So what happens is because there is a bubble somewhere, they keep funding it. And at the end of the day, the business is not unit economics uh, positive. We simply mean unit economics positive simply means the cost, okay, that's too nerdy. The cost of creating a single unit of that product is lesser than the price that you are going to sell it in primary school. Profit equals selling price minus cost price, right? That's like what unit economics is. So a lot of people do not have the technicality to know, oh, this is like the unit economics. At the end of the day, deduct a lot of things and look at and i mean that's where economics comes to help me economies of scale so now i say okay in the, in the next five years what's the economies of scale that would happen to this so that's like the metrics for that then if you now keep going further down right when the business is now mature you now have a lot of things around okay are we have we automated the entire business to ensure that as the business is growing i'm not recruiting a lot more people that was what happened um, post-COVID yeah. that led to the tech layoff. That is actually the problem, not the problem of the CEO. So don't blame the CEO. It's the CEO that didn't do their work at that point in time. So it is the work of the CEO to say, at this point in time, this is the amount of goods that we've seen. This is the amount of resources that we need so that we have good economies of scale in the future. But what happened is the CEO was quite, maybe was not doing their work. I'm, I can say that anyway. Right, so what they were doing is short-term benefits while losing in the long term. So have we automated enough things? Then the other thing is customer experience, right? Um, how is the customer experience? Because CS reports into the operations. So how is the customer experience going to be like, right? There is the other thing around data analytics. The operations person must be a data nerd. Gather data across virtually every 
every spectrum of the business. Sometimes you are not making money not because the product is not selling, but because you are not selling the right product to the right at the right time, or you don't have the right resources to sell that product. So you need to, at some point, keep data to say, do we have the right marketing team? Another thing that happens is you see them now at some point just bringing a uh, marketing from when after they've raised millions of yeah. dollars, then you just bring out the market. The guy that has built the company to that, they will say, no, you be head of marketing. Then you now see VP marketing, right? <laughs> on, top, <laughs> on top of that guy. What has literally happened at that point in time is they are firefighting, not necessarily like they are not being um, proactive. From the outset, you should have built something to say that this is like what is going to happen, say, in the future, for instance, to say, then this, how can we play? So that when we go to that big, I think Pestag did that well, right? And I must give them their kudos, right? So they were able to scale their resources as they were growing. It was only at some point when it was obvious that they needed more help. But you see Pestag people go through the ranks and they were scaling each department as Pestag was going. CS was going alongside the business. So there was no point that I think they would have overhired. And that was how they were able to have good culture. Because as a operations person, Right, if you are not taking the data, obviously you have bad culture. Because if I've been working in your company for 20 years and you just said, no, at this point in time, you are head of marketing and that's where you'll be. Then go and be one VP of marketing. I mean, the company will not grow. So there is data, there is security and compliance to also say, as we are growing, are we scaling our security and compliance? Now, you can start a fintech company with a cooperative license. But that would not last. When you start processing billions of naira, CBN will come knocking and they will force you to either shut down or, okay, I don't want to mention it, right? We've seen that happen in this ecosystem. So the CEO should not take blame for that. It's the operations person that did not scale the security and compliance. The Orange Bank today is literally the CEO, right? You can't blame the guy. The CEO's work is to look for business and the business is doing well. Look at their, they are making profit. But if you open your bank, that bank app now, you might most likely not be able to do there anything because there was one article last week around Zenith Bank and one other bank. I mean, that one is article is out there. Um, cyber security issues that happen yeah, that they were Yeah, people have been complaining a lot. People have been, money is going missing. I mean, that is a KPI for the operations person. <laughs> Why yeah. should money go missing? There are tons of this. I, I I spoke to that like in one of the articles. Innovation, how innovative is the company? If you create a good environment, people will innovate, right? And are they just innovating and killing the brand? So there's out-innovation. That's my own word. Out-innovation simply means you are innovating beyond the vision of the company. So that will kill the company. I've seen that happen. I've been there where I out-innovated above the stage the company was. Right, and I lost out. So that's also to ensure that people do not out innovate above the company. There's innovation that people innovating enough, and also the other side to it when people innovate, what now happens to those ideas? Right, are you putting into place the SOPs that I said, certain document processes to ensure that your ideas become like your idea? They won't go out there and re-engineer your product. And so there is employee productivity. Uh, employee engagement and the return on investment, which is the biggest one for you as the CEO. All the money we spent this year, 
What's the return on investment? My reason you see your CEO saying, we cannot afford to buy this. There's money yeah. in the bank, but they will say, we cannot afford it. I mean, they are, they are the ones, the CEO will always want to spend because they want to bring money into the company. So they want to spend all the money in bank to bring new money. It's the work of the CEOs to say, no, I mean, they are the chief founder. If that's why you hound everybody, like, no, 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 don't let us do that. Let's wait, right? Let's go for something that is cheaper. Right, not that the guy like cheap stuff, but as that. So those are like the performance metrics that operations person should measure, and boards nowadays should start measuring the operations person on. And I love the fact that you ended on the money aspect because my next question now is going to be. This is going to probably be more of an opinion thing. When it comes to operation, do you think operation should be more capital intensive or more, is it labor intensive or or like, you know, manpower, <laughs> manpower intensive? Hmm. All the theories I was going to my head. So there are quite um, different theories to operations. As an operations person, you need to read and read a lot. There's a lean startup thing that can be extreme and can also work, right? So Lean Startup simply means doing the best with as little as possible, right? Being optimal. I like to call it optimal um, theory. Say, how can I achieve the biggest things, right? With the smallest resources, do things that will not scale. I think that's from um, former YC president. Things that, do things that will not scale first. So there's that thing running through a lot of tech startups back then before the bubble came in and everybody started earning plenty money or presumed to earn plenty money, which is more or less like we say no to everything and we get everybody's mentality. Just it's lean at the lean startup thing altar. Say, you must do 15 things. If I, you are a marketing person, you must also be the one to write the article. You must also be the digital marketer. You must also be the email marketer. You must also be the SEO person. You are the marketing person for me, right? So there's that, which is you are being human, like labor intensive, right? Now that works, but at some point you also need to come in between to be optimal, to say, am I being penny um, wise, and wise and pound foolish? Because at the end of the day, when the number of hours it will take just effect to do all of those things, right? Vis-a-vis the, the, uh, the results we are going to get, vis-a-vis more or less like, why not just get few more persons that will do this and we achieve more? So I am the in-between guy to say, let me be as optimal as possible. I like generalist a lot, right? And I like generalist certain roles, generalist a PM that is a generalist, I would love that person. So if I'm a CEO of any company today, I would employ generalists in roles that are multifunctional to save costs and also to get us faster. While I will be a lot more capital intensive when it comes to regulations, when it comes to the tools people would use, right, to automate their processes, I'll be a lot more capital intensive when it comes to security. There's this bit of people thinking if I automate people's work, on two sides, on the management. If I automate this person's work, what will this person be doing? I'll be paying salary without that person doing anything. On this other person's job, now see people saying, AI is here to take my job. Hey, computer is here to take my work. So you now see a lot of people guarding what they do to say, oh, there's this new tool. No, I don't want that tool. Let me be doing it. <laughs> but AI is not coming to take your job. And you are not paying this person for free. What you are doing by automating that person's work is you are scaling your company. So you remove the person from doing the day-to-day work, the entire 
core operational things, right? Routine out things, for instance, and that person starts being strategic. You have a lot of people that are strategic in your firm. Just multiply that. Think around if it's not just the C suits that are strategic, then everybody's strategic. If the last person in the company becomes strategic, what happens? I mean, there's a ripple effect. At the end of the day, you automate. Another thing comes, you automate that. So that simply means if you've done this, you've automated it, you will be able to move on to the next thing. Move on. Then you, at the end of the day, have brand touchpoints virtually everywhere. Right? So that's the way me I see it. ROI is the biggest thing. When I was still somewhat, I don't want to say some like back then because people would think I'm old. Right? <laughs> but when I was doing a little bit of play in finance, there's this thing called payback period. I attempted to write CFA. Um, and I think that's What's the, CFA? CFA is the biggest certification in finance globally. I failed. Yeah, so uh, it's not like I know book like that. <laughs> but uh, one thing that did for me, I mean, that's also the hardest. Let me, let me also give myself some part at the back. That's the hardest exam, right, um, in finance. I mean, that people say. One of the things that did to me was um, open my mind to a lot of things that is achievable in finance. And there are a couple of concepts that what CFA does is takes the abstract, removes the abstract away, and you see real life finance. Okay. And for me, my takeaway is how I can apply finance to virtually everything. I mean, that's the same thing Afroeconomics is trying to do. And there's something called payback period, which is more or less like, when would you recoup the money that you invested? Yes. And I apply that to virtual everything I do. So you say, what is the, when is the payback period? Like, when is the payback to this? There's a concept to, I mean, it became popular, which is more or less like the margin call that they said Elon Musk was to do. Like, he was going to go bankrupt if they do a margin call, which is simply like, if you borrow money at some rate, like, if you short something at a certain rate, if inflation or the rate goes higher, they will tell you that the, the money that you said you have is not longer enough begin to do a call. So for me, those two things are one, one of the things that I use in operation to say, okay, if we should put this down now, when are we going to have a margin call? Let me give you a real-life situation example of margin call. is when people resign because they are tired. You know what will happen? You will lose the amount of work those people are meant to do and you would never hire people at that same skill set, that same understanding. Right? You, are, you pay more for the new people that will come in. That's the first thing. Right? The second thing that would happen, aside from you paying more, is it will take longer time for those people to understand your vision. Yeah. So you lose time. That's the second thing that would happen. Then the third thing, that which is the most important thing that nobody talks about, is the fact that that thing would no longer be the same. That yeah. project will start all over to, again. Yes. Bring someone that is 100 years what of experience that project will start itself that's literally what would happen it will never be the same at that point in time that's the margin call right what will now happen more money flow at the problem you become federal government of nigeria then the payback period is more or less like if i'm also going to invest in people i must also say that because i mean we have a lot of youngies now i'm also young right <laughs> but we have a lot of youngies and that do not understand that social media is done from reality. They are bringing social media to work, right? And think, oh, that person that is 15 years of experience, just literally cruising on. I mean, while coming, something happened on a group that I was. 
someone was saying, I can never take, I think, 150K for a digital marketing work. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and so, I could <laughs> see people that are just graduating from school saying, no, never, 150K is more money. This one, this one. They were earning the guy. And I was just like, hmm, ask that guy. He started with 30K. Yeah. What was your first salary? Okay, so for me, okay, which one should I call my first salary? Because I started business. But when I decided to move into tech, that was when, I mean, Barry entered, FX did what he could do. I lost uh, my printing business. I was trying to order something from Germany. I think I paid, I think 2.5 million or so for the machine. On getting to, like on the sea, the price changed to 4.5 million. So we lost the money, we could not get it, we lost the business. So I said, I was not like, okay, let me do tech, right? And I met someone that introduced me to the co-founder of Kairos, Razak. Funny enough, that was when Kairos was just starting. So my, I think we did not call it salary because he was just like, oh, yeah, you've done this, you've done that. Come, we are building this, come yeah. and join us. <laughs> so it was a salary. But I think it was 30K. Yeah, that was my first salary too. I was getting 30k for all the things I was doing and it was also a tech company and now to think that people are like even sometimes I'm not even going to lie I also joined in the conversation to say see things are not the way they are if you can afford this person mm-hmm. at this mid role, whatever you shouldn't be paying the person exactly. this but also like let's not like how many people are earning 200k in this economy you know do you have a salary of nigerians 45,000 it's for 70,000 and it's for 5,000 wow that's interesting you can check it online i love that we are even moving now to the financial aspects because yeah. that's where we are at right now exactly how are you dealing with this naira battle between mm. the nairas now because i actually need your own professional like input what you think on it i'm trying not to wear my africanist hat <laughs> yeah here's the thing i have this thing this cherry that i propounded somewhat it has been submitted to new um mbs like nigeria of statistics i think i was 2016 or so so that time i called it perception index and i figured that the biggest problem we have in the emerging market is actually what is called perception index. So perceptions index simply means the higher the literacy level of people plus right, the perception of the policy actually um, equates to how effective that policy would be. And that is the biggest problem we have, say, across everything. So perception index for me is the problem we have with worrying. Because Nigerians do not necessarily like what he's doing. Yeah. Right? Anything that comes There's this negative that, feedback. Yeah. There's this thing called anticipated changes and unanticipated changes and their ripple effect on economic growth, economic policies, wages and all of that. Very, very simple answer to that is more or less like, if you know some, your wage is going to increase in the next six months, what happened? You start changing your, your lifestyle yeah, in anticipation yeah, for that for right that, yeah now that is one side the other side to it is in nigeria we always have unanticipated changes Murphy wakes up and says i did not sleep well on my bed today <laughs> so um all banks i'm debiting you xyz amount of money Murphy, like no verse right that was that was my side right <laughs> so what is happening literally is 
good policies will come, but because of the perception index, the former MBS chief, um, Dr. Yemi Kale, actually liked it, but I think things did not work out. And I yeah. hope, hopefully, um, the academics try to like look at the. I'm not going to the academics in Nigeria, so they can just <laughs> look at it, right? So what is happening is the policies will come. Look at everything that has been happening. Policies will come. Textbook-wise, it is very, very brilliant. But they will not situate it to the right set of people. And the second thing will be that the perception of Nigerians about anything that happens is, this is against me. So everybody would work together to frustrate it. Naira versus USD. Last year, I also learned my lessons uh, when it comes to Naira. We all did. Yeah. <laughs> And I also learned my lesson when it comes to holding foreign currency. Foreign currency, yeah. Because at some point, people lost money. People that held USD. If you bought USD in October, November, today you are losing money on that USD. Yeah. The issue with the Naira thing was more or less like it is normal for central banks to change currencies, right? It's normal for certain reasons. Um, Murphy and his team, they brought out something good. We have brilliant people in CBN, by the way, and Nigerian banking architecture not sector. Architecture is one of the mo most robust in the world. Better than Europe, better than advanced economies. Right? So I give that to them. But what is now happening is you are bringing in a policy. You are not taking into consideration the literacy level. Now, literacy level is not just, did we all go to school? Some people, they went to school, school did not go to school there. <laughs> like a lot of Nigerian graduates. Twitter is enough for you to see it. You see some comments like, you put PhD behind your name. Okay. <laughs> well, but I mean, it's not too fast. Thank goodness. Right? Yeah. And what happens most of the time is they did not educate Nigerians the right way about the policy. If they had come to you to say, this is what this policy is, this is how we are going to, I think, was it um, Australia? No, UK. UK will be moving away from the Queen's notes to the King's note. It's going to take them a year and a half to do that. From now, they've been teaching kids in schools, right? What the difference is going to be, the implication of that. The economics curriculum in schools have changed to accommodate, accommodate that. Yeah. People are, you know, there's that literacy level that comes. So I already know that, okay, this is an anticipated change. So what happened? I start adjusting towards that. Okay. What happens to my perception? I start saying, Brexit was not necessarily a good thing in the UK, but a lot of people like accepted it. Why? Because of the perception index. They took time to educate people. And what did they also do? That's the Tracy side to it. The other flip side to it was not like it was set to the right audience. To say, um, for instance, a way Murphy could have gone around this would be this. If I'm to change this today, once I'm announcing, oh, I'm going to change currency. So because I'm going to change currency today, I'm going to ensure that you guys cannot deposit money. The first set of people I will meet is... Um, POS. They have a name. That's the name I'm trying to... They have super agents, right? There's a name for um, that group. The first thing I will do is to meet these guys. They are the ones that meet the last set of people and say the biggest MMO in Nigeria is first money. First money. How much do you process in cash daily? Now, a bit of nerdy economics. The total money in, circul in circulation equals to the value with CBN. 
the problem we had was there was a lot of money that CBN could not account for. So, I mean, people that did econometrics, there's that epsilon, right? Things you cannot account for. That was like the biggest thing in CBN's formula. So they wanted money to come. So what do I do? I match one error of old notes to one error of new notes. If we have 1.9 trillion naira in circulation, how much will I print? 1.9 trillion naira. But what do I do? I don't print 1,000 naira notes. I print money people use every single day. Okay. So if I'm able to print money that people use every single day, that simply means people that I want to catch because those are the ones that are going to embezzle the money yeah, and all of that. The money. They will have much more volume of money to launder. Yeah. That simply means they have much more volume of money to launder. I'm able to track, track the money, right? And for every Naira note that comes into the system, I just need to meet with fintechs. For every Naira note that comes into your platform, I mean, I mean fintechs that are now being like end, um, end line and banks, right? So just say, for every Naira note that comes into you, don't, do not recycle. There's a do not recycle thing. The settlements do not recycle. The ATM um, providers do not recycle. Everybody do not recycle. And everybody gets money from POS. So the main channel for these guys, the money launderers will not go to a POS, will they? They will not. It is the bank. The bank is not recycling money. So you move your money into the bank. There's another exit point, which is POS. POS will not give you $1 million. Now, bringing all of this conversation down to fintech, yeah. um, for those who don't know, um, Taiwo Basson is the CEO of Fondol. I need you to talk about Fondol a bit and congratulations on your award. Yeah, I saw absolutely. that you guys were the B2B yeah. payments app of the year. Yeah. Um, just use a minute or two to talk about Fondol and what you guys do. When you think of Fondol, like from the name, Fondol, so we are here for everyone, that's the thing. And what we are doing is digitizing finance. It's as simple as money is the same from the days of Adam and Eve till the day this world no longer exists. And we exist in science fiction movies, right? So that's money is the same. What do you do with money from secondary school? You spend money, you owe money as store of value, right? And um, so you grow money, you spend money, and you manage money. Those are the three things we do with money. How we do them is what is different. Right, even fintech in year 3055, we still do these three It's how they will do it that will be different. Right. So what we are trying to do is digitizing money, digitizing finance. So how you spend your money, how you go your money, and how you manage your money. Right. So everything around those touch points for individuals and businesses. So when you get onto the funder app, and one of the reasons we decide to be out there. Uh, was more or less like banks know you more than any other person in the world. You can go on social media and be faking it. Your bank knows that you cannot fake it. <laughs> I mean, the easiest way to, to catch a promiscuous man, right? Let me go that, that, that way, would be check the man's bank statement. So your bank knows virtually everything more than your pastor. They say pastors and every other of that class have spiritual insight. But your bank knows what your pastor does not know. You can go to church and go and say testimony that is not right. Your bank knows that's not the reality because they know where you spend your money, how you spend your money, and when you spend your money. And everything we do, our lifestyle is embedded into finance. And that's what we are doing at Fondo. Say, can we embed your lifestyle into finance? How do you spend your money? 
Um, we provide a banking solution for you to transfer money, to pay bills, to do everything, everyday transactions. If you want to invest money, we give you access to um, different ways you can invest money. And the step further than what banks do that we are doing is that more or less like if your banks know everything about you, your bank should be able to help you plan your money. Like if your bank knows that I spend XYZ amounts every single month, why can't that bank nudge me to save towards that goal from month one? How can, why can't that bank provide me with the kind of loan that I need per time? All of the things that you do with money, you can get them done on fund as an individual, as a business. Right? And for businesses, what we also do is, you do your business, you run your business, we cater to virtually every other thing, right? So from the operational side of things, um, which is more or less like providing with automations, you will notice that I've mentioned a lot of things about automations. Yeah. So Fondor does that for you, right? To help you automate like all of your business operations, aside from operating your, um, automating your business operations with tools like um, Iman Resource Suite, have an uh, like email resource where you can manage everything end to end around your people. Um, you want to generate invoices, receipts, and all of that, get them done. You don't even need to maybe get all the KYC that banks will require you to get. I mean, I'm just starting out, and for the way I've actually everybody is selling on WhatsApp, right? Yeah. And they also would go into a business. So, Fondor is that partner that will help you start from where you are on WhatsApp and go you into like a full-fledged business. So in a nutshell, what do we do at Fondor? Digitizing finance by giving you access to a platform where you can spend money, manage money and grow money as a business and as an individual. That's great. And um, for people who are interested in what Fondor ha- has to offer, um, you can find them at fondor.io. Do you have any other platforms? Yeah, so um, you can go on Google Play Store, right? And just search for Fondor, Fund All. Yeah. Fund everything. So F-U-N-D-A-L-L, right? And also, um, you can go on App Store, right? Fondo is also there. Uh, we're on web app at for businesses, business.fondo.io, just like it sounds. And you can go on Instagram, our social media, all our social media and those are at get underscore fondo. Now, I have just one more question before we wrap this all up. And this is more for the fintech part yeah. and i'm using our reality now as a case study why is it that right now with the cash scarcity i know if we are thinking linearly it should make sense that the virtual means of payment yeah. should be more efficient but now we are seeing like a lot of things are happening what is exactly going on with that and also by extension right you have banks so i know that for gt i use gt bank every end of the month yeah the apps are not always working mm-hmm. like you're trying to do 737 it doesn't work like what exactly is going on there so this is literally a different episode of its own oh right um <laughs> works, but i would distill it down into as little as possible yeah now if you want to understand payment right you know at some point, I said Nigerian banking architecture is one of the best globally, right? No cap. I mean, we are with there. all the nonsense that is happening. Yeah, I mean, it will take you days to get money, right? Everywhere yeah. else. Insta, Ghana did their Insta payment in yeah. 2019. So 
We've been doing instant payments since forever. I worked with a company. I was working for a company in Ghana before um, Eniata, and I knew that with like the payments, we always got our salaries fast. And then the other guys were like, "Oh, they are going to the bank to like drop a teller." And I was like, yeah. "What is going on?" Exactly. As beautiful as that might be, that is built around certain real architectures. Okay, Abasan will not maybe with this one. <laughs> One of the biggest real architecture that makes this happen is what we call NIPS Instant Payments. Yeah. NIPS Instant Payments is one of the biggest and the best real architecture we have, right? So that's like where all transactions have to go. And here's a fun fact. Enyata was actually part of the the story of NIBS we actually helped to build. Ah, interesting. Like, <laughs> so so I, I'm here, it all started. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, interesting to see, yeah. And you guys really did, I mean, you changed the entire payment architecture. Thank you very like, much. I mean, you, you made a mark, like, on the global payment architecture. I mean, 90% of big tech, fintechs in US will not exist if they had NIBS. So are you hearing? Patronize also. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I mean, you guys did that. You guys did that. Now, what happens is there are traffic and there is latency period, right? To so say, and also there's the big chief, Ford, high traffic period. At the times Ford starts cyber attack and all of that also target. So what happens is, so they don't, and everything goes into a, a central ledger, you know. I think Nibs is trying to now use blockchain that will distribute the ledgers. But for now, the ledger is central. So what happened is they queue when they send transactions. Everybody will all receive salary and want to spend our money at once. So instead of tons of transactions going, not being able to identify which one is fraud and all of that, they now start queuing transactions. So when they queue transactions, right? So I transfer money to you. Yeah. Instead of it going almost immediately. Right? I'll queue the transactions. So this transaction would go, I'll go, okay, this is the UUID, right? And that's for the tech people. They know all of these things I'm saying. The session ID, UUID, and all of that. This is what is it? Post to this ledger. Then the switch picks that, settles, um, there's a settlement bit of it. So a single transaction that you do, that you think is just one transaction, there are like five, six entities powering all of these transactions. Money is going here, bank A to bank B. They don't know each other. Yeah. Access Bank does not know you because you are a GT Bank customer. You want to send money to Access Bank. Then there's a lot of traffic. Now what happens is there is someone in between that will communicate to Access Bank that, oh, GT Bank knows Ife, and Ife actually has this money with GT Bank. But again, Access Bank will not give GT Bank, um, you not give their own customer money that is not their own. So someone needs to move the money so that all of those things can be done in a way that is much more effective. Because money is very, very, like digital money is very, very interesting. Look at what has been happening to crypto because there's no centralized ledger. Once you lose your keys, what happens? The money That's disappears. Yeah. So money does not disappear on this kind of real architecture. So you now have to launch everything separately. So sometimes you see that it will go almost instantly. Thankfully, nobody is on that rail for that similar transaction. So you, it will just go. But during those peak period, they try to lodge it. So sometimes fraud will happen. Hackers will try to send the same amount of money um, into people's accounts, do unnecessary things. If 
they are lodging it, the models that they've built, the MLCFT, um, the fraud model and all of that, would be able to read through the type of transaction that it is, then process that transaction. It's very, very interesting for cards because card settlement is also crazier than even NIP settlement. Some, that is why sometimes you spend money today. It has left your balance, is in your ledger balance. You will not get the alert. Because it is not your bank that is processing it. It's a separate entity entirely. So at that peak period, that separate entity might be MasterCard that is not even local. One of the reasons CBN is trying to do the Africa group. You know, I say by saying it's not everything CBN that is bad, right? It's just that's how they do it and perception index and all that. Now, when that transaction goes, they've settled the um, the POS person. The other bank is now looking for where the money is. Something now failed on that guy's end. And because there is high traffic, nobody can see where the money is. The money is hanging. You hear some people say, my money is hanging. Mm-hmm. Go and check when that money is hanging. It's high peak period. So what some banks will now do is, once they've reached their server limits, they'll make the app useless. So once it has filled up, new set of people will be able to okay yes so that's that's like what it is so sometimes it's for your own good and sometimes these banks will be banks yeah <laughs> right and one of the things i think fintechs are trying to do which is also because of our business model is we are now becoming bigger on architecture we are investing a lot in architecture other than the book and mortar i mean this is yata in this fine space this cannot be a city bank local branch. Yeah. Some branch, the cost of maintaining some branch is much more, is higher than the cost, the total deposit, not even profit to my people in Ogun State, deep, deep down. How much do we have? No, Ogun State is even very close. Ekiti. Well, no, Ekiti. Oh, okay, I don't want to trade job at them. Let me go deeper to Potiskum. He's in Yobe, Potiskum. It's one of the bigger cities. So people from Bedam, from I've stayed in the north before, right? So okay. you can have one bank. As services. The entire local government. It's interesting. And ask how much the entire deposits will be. How much are they depositing? Might not be up to one million. But generator, diesel, um, the building must be fine and nice and all of that. So there's all of these costs that traditional banks are spending on that is not also allowing them to invest. So you see, fintechs raise a lot of money and they be like, Oh, this is what we are giving to architecture, mm-hmm. right? Because they want to be much more efficient, right? They invest more in architecture than banks that is, I mean, brick and mortar, serve coffee to the billionaire because they don't make money from you. They make money from private banking and business banking. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Um, so I think that now we can wrap up the episode yeah yeah, yeah this I, was really interesting because yeah, I've enjoyed you know, it. yeah we started with operations and there will be fintech yeah, yeah um thank you very much um like i said taiwo basson the ceo of fundal the you know writer and also the owner of the afroconomist afroconomist you can find it on substack yeah yeah it's yeah. a substack publication is there any other thing you want people to know about you not so much really so there's this thing that i do for smaller businesses traditional businesses is largely out of passion um because one of my personal goals is to ensure that a lot of traditional businesses and ideas right become digital right so you can just shoot your shots right to my linkedin 
DM or on Twitter at Afroeconomist. Right. Okay. And you can just book maybe a 30 minutes conversation on how you can digitize, I mean, your ideas, right, and traditional businesses. So I do that and as much as possible, I put out there that, yes, tech is an enabler, right, for scale yeah. and when it comes to your operations and for scale when it comes to your distribution. So I'm happy to talk to you about how you can do that. That's nice. Thank you very much. You're this welcome. was really, really pleasurable. Thank you for having me. Alright. Um, thanks guys. All necessary links will be available in the description box. Thank you very much. You're welcome. <laughs>